This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Ten years ago, I worked as a fact checker and a screener at a public radio station. My job was to make sure that the information that reached listeners was true and verifiable, and I was very good at it. The day the radio station closed, I took home a single box of files destined for the incinerator. I've remained its sole custodian ever since. There's a reason I saved this one box, and there's a reason no one else has ever seen its contents. These were America's lost stories. These were the stories that didn't pass muster with our less intrepid fact-checkers, those who would dismiss the unusual and impossible out of hand. These stories died in darkness, forsaken, forsworn, and forgotten. Forgotten, that is, by everyone but me. My name is Richard Niles, and these are the stories of the American Beyond. Today, I'll be disclosing the contents of a file labeled Mold. In August of 2008, 28-year-old Madeline Hendricks of Erickson, Ohio, noticed a small spot on the wall of her two-bedroom home. A transcribed affidavit submitted to the Ohio Department of Health by Hendricks in 2010 reads, quote, It was very small at first, maybe the size of a quarter. You hear about black mold being dangerous, but this was more of a greenish-gray, so I wasn't particularly worried about it. It was a little damp, smelled faintly of onions, end quote. Hendricks called a local mold inspection service out of what she called, quote, an overabundance of caution, end quote. That company was Erickson Mold and Drywall. An employee with Erickson Mold and Drywall documented the service call to Hendricks' home on August 17, 2008, in a typewritten report. It was three words long. Alternaria. Recommended. Fungicide. According to the American Institute of Fungal Studies, Alternaria is a common, non-toxic, allergenic mold typically found in wet or damp areas. This assessment puzzled Hendricks. Quote, The inspector said it was a type of mold found in bathrooms, basements, places where you'd see water damage, she wrote. Quote continues, But this was in my main hallway at face level. No nearby toilets or sinks. So I thought it was a little odd, but it was an older house, so my first thought was it was a problem with the plumbing. And you know, I started doing the math in my head. How much would it cost to fix a simple leak? What if it's not a simple leak? What if it's a big leak? What if the whole system is falling apart? I started looking up the costs of this stuff online, and that certainly wasn't helpful. But the mold guy said it was fine, and I trusted that. End quote. Despite using the fungicide as directed, Hendricks said, the mold continued to spread, exacerbating Hendricks's concerns. In her words, quote, When I first noticed it, it was about the size of a quarter, and about a month later, it was the size of a fist. End quote. The plumbing company Madeline Hendricks called, WetPro, did not provide a report upon request, though they did offer this following statement, quote, WetPro provided a service call to the residents in question on August 29, 2008. No water damage was found, and a mold inspection service was recommended. Per the Hendricks affidavit, quote, 
I called two more mold companies and got a second opinion on the possibility of water damage. Everyone said the mold was harmless. Everyone. But no one could say why the fungicide wasn't working or what caused it. By Christmas, it was roughly two feet across. I know because I tried to cover it with a Christmas wreath and the wreath wasn't big enough. So of course, Grams noticed it and she... I can't stress this enough. Grams was not an emotional person. She was a loving grandmother, but she was made of stone. And when she saw this mold, she, expletive removed, lost it. She left her bags and would not come back inside. She stood outside in the freezing cold until we called her a cab. Christmas was over. End quote. Hendrix's grandmother, the late Vera Kalishnikov, grew up in a small community in the eastern bloc of Europe before immigrating to the United States with her mother as a teenager. According to Hendrix, her grandmother had long told the story of how they fled their home due to what she called rampant sickness. This mold, Vera Kalishnikov claimed, was the very sickness that had killed her own father and devastated her childhood home. The new year came and went, and in January of 2009, Hendrix became so concerned with the spreading fungus, she contacted a now-defunct drywall company called Kidman Interior and Exterior. We were unable to make contact with the former owner of the company or any of its former employees, but Ms. Hendrix posted numerous photos of their work in progress to her Facebook account over the course of the three days. According to both her affidavit and the contemporaneous captions on Ms. Hendrix's photos, the company ultimately removed and replaced six feet of wall in her hallway. Afterward, Hendricks said, both she and the company were confident the infestation had been eradicated. Madeline Hendricks's home remained ostensibly fungus-free for one month. Hendricks stated, quote, In late February, I pulled a book from a shelf, and the shelf, it was, it was cheap and always a little fidgety. I don't know why I kept it as long as I did. But the shelf fell... The books fell, and there on the wall where the books had been was another spot. Clearly the same mold. Color, texture, everything. About six inches across. End quote. On February 26th, Hendricks once again called Erickson Mold and Drywall. On February 28th, they inspected Hendricks's home and documented it in a typewritten report. This time, four words long. Alternaria, severe, recommended fungicide. In total, over the course of four days, the employee who carried out the inspection and Hendricks herself discovered 12 additional sites of infestation. Frustrated doesn't cover it, Hendricks said. They kept saying it was alternaria, but they couldn't tell me why it was everywhere or what was causing it. They couldn't tell me why numerous fungicides didn't do anything. This was supposed to be an extremely common thing they saw all the time. Hendricks became convinced the inspectors had called it wrong, and fearing for her personal safety, she checked into a local motel while she planned her next steps. Quote, I spent two days making calls. I called inspection companies as far away as Dayton. I didn't know what else to do. End quote. Before another inspection could take place, however, 
Hendrix's situation took yet another alarming turn. Per her affidavit, quote, My second night in the motel, and I was getting into the shower, I happened to catch myself in the mirror and saw... I thought it was a bruise on the underside of my arm. I figured I'd bumped it while going through the attic or something. But I touched it and didn't feel like a bruise. It didn't hurt. It, w- it wasn't even sensitive. In fact, it almost felt... End quote. According to the transcript of Hendrix's statement, she stopped speaking here for a length of time, only starting again when prompted by an interviewer. Quote, it was soft. Warm. It scared me, but not like it should have. I don't know how long I was there, just touching this greenish-gray spot, but at some point I realized I was sitting, perched on the edge of the bathroom sink, my finger on this spot, and in that brief moment I slipped and fell. The fall shocked me back from... I, I don't know how to describe it. I, it was like I was somewhere else, but also nowhere at the same time. Until I wasn't. And then suddenly I was on the bathroom floor of a business redacted. With my finger inside my arm up to about the second knuckle. And suddenly I was awake and aware and screaming. End quote. It was at this point Madeline Hendricks drove herself to a local hospital. Where medical examiners observed, quote, a small nickel-sized puncture wound of indeterminate origin, end quote, in her left arm. An on-call physician's internal notes, later obtained during an investigation by the Department of Health, questioned the origin of the injury and postulated it may have been self-inflicted or the result of recreational drug abuse. The physician also noted, however, the presence of an unknown fungal agent, possibly blastomycosis or, and I apologize for the pronunciation, coccidoidomycosis. Though two separate lab cultures performed at the hospital proved inconclusive. Ultimately, Madeline Hendricks's wound was dressed and she was released with a prescription for an extra strength topical fungicide and referred to her dermatologist for a follow up. Per Hendricks's statement, quote, The doctors at the ER said it was nothing. The dermatologist said it was nothing. Two general practitioners said it was nothing. I had a hole in my expletive-deleted arm, and they just kept saying it was fine, but it clearly wasn't. The hole kept getting bigger, and they told me I wasn't dressing it properly, and the fungal infection kept spreading, and they said it would go away, but of course it didn't. By April, it almost ran the length of my upper arm. One day I was... you know, I was done. I was just done, and I was terrified, and I asked... What if it spreads past my shoulder? What if it reaches... End quote. The transcript notes Hendricks was openly crying at this point. Quote. And they said, no, no, it won't come to that. It's fine. It'll be fine. And while this was happening, I was also juggling work and had multiple contractors at the house dealing with this mold. And I knew. They told me it was impossible, but I knew. Whatever was spreading through my house was the same thing taking my arm. I knew it. I knew it. End quote. Hendricks, in what she would later recognize as her darkest moment, turned to her grandmother, Vera Kalishnikov. 
Quote, We hadn't talked much since Christmas. That was my fault. Anytime I'd call or email her, she'd start on the house again, and after a while, I didn't want to hear it anymore. So I stopped reaching out. But one night in mid-April, I called her, and before she could even say anything, I said, Graham, you were right. You were right. She was quiet for a long time, and I thought, well, here it comes, you know. But she said, Maddie, I love you, and I want you to listen carefully. And she told me what to do. I think I already knew. I I did know. But hearing her say it out loud made it easier somehow. End quote. We'll never know exactly what Kalishnikov said to her daughter that night, because neither Hendricks nor Kalishnikov ever disclosed it. What we do know is compiled from a number of separate reports documented by eyewitnesses, the Erickson Police Department, the local fire department, and emergency paramedics. On April 23, 2009, Madeline Hendricks got into her vehicle and drove to a local liquor store where she purchased a single bottle of product redacted. She then drove south on FM 2172, six miles to a gas station where she parked and allegedly consumed that bottle. She then purchased a case of product redacted, consumed two cans of that, and resumed driving south on FM 2172. As she approached a small bridge crossing near exit 251, Hendricks rolled down the driver's side window of her car and extended her left arm outside the vehicle, lowering it parallel to the car door. At approximately 11.42 p.m., Hendricks allegedly deliberately steered the vehicle sharply left into the bridge's concrete barrier, running against it for roughly 16 feet at 56 miles per hour, severing her left arm entirely at the shoulder. The vehicle came to a rest at the far side of the bridge, and multiple eyewitnesses dialed 911. First responders quickly arrived at the scene where they found Hendricks unconscious due to apparent blood loss. She was taken by ambulance to, location redacted, a local hospital, before being life-flighted to, location redacted, a larger medical facility in Dayton. Multiple surgeries later, she was released, although she was unable to return home. Instead, she went to stay with her grandmother while recovering from her injuries. The reason? On the night of April 23rd, as Madeline Hendricks steered her vehicle into a bridge, firefighters were responding to reports of a raging fire at Hendricks' address. Their efforts to contain the blaze were ultimately unsuccessful, and Hendricks' two-bedroom home burned to the ground. A brief investigation found the cause to be suspected arson, though no formal charges were ever brought against Hendricks, as the fire was concluded to have begun while she sat in her car, drinking, at a gas station across town in plain view of a closed-circuit security camera. She was, however, charged with driving under the influence and two counts of reckless endangerment. An attorney for Hendricks argued for leniency in light of her injuries, and she was sentenced to three years of probation. Hendricks later told the Ohio Department of Health, quote, It goes to show how lucky I really am. Not only did I survive the accident, 
but also that I wasn't asleep at home when the fire started. I do. I feel very, very grateful. Grateful to be alive and grateful for my grams. End quote. Hendrix's grandmother, Vera Kalishnikov, passed quietly in her sleep, her granddaughter at her side, in September of 2015. Any further knowledge or insight Kalishnikov may have had into the night of April 23, 2009, she took with her into the American beyond. Today's episode was produced by Justin Yandel and Chris Vanderkay. Funding was provided by a generous grant from the Anatomy of a Scream Foundation. I'm Richard Niles. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The American Beyond, a fiction podcast. Join us again next time. The Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad.